Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Hey, thanks for joining me again this week on the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree. I'm a chiropractor, and I'm also a certified medical laser safety officer. I've been doing laser therapy for a very long time. I've treated thousands of patients at this point, and I hope to bring some of my experience to you. I also like to bring primarily, really, research-related information. And we're going to throw in a little bit of opinion today. I've got three specific resources that I'm going to be referring back to, and so before I get into anything about our topic today, which is Alzheimer's, I want to give you those references so you can look at that if you'd like. The first one is a paper, a review that was published in March of 2020, so just about a year ago, in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. The title is Photobiomodulation for Alzheimer's Disease, Translating Basic Research to Clinical Application. And one of the co-authors here is the very esteemed Dr. Michael Hamblin, who's been in the photobiomodulation game for decades. So very respected researcher. This is a pretty nice piece of review work here with some great references back to other studies. I'm also going to be talking about an article published June 15th in Forbes. And the title of that is FDA's approval of a new Alzheimer's drug shows what's wrong with the way we care for frail older adults by Howard Gleckman. And then the third article that I'll be referring to was published in Bloomberg. Uh, again, on June 15th, and the title there is Medicare Must Study Unproven Expensive Alzheimer's Drug by Peter Bach and Craig Garthwaite. So there are several things we're going to be hitting here, and what I hope to bring to you is a balanced, somewhat fair look at the way that we are treating our older adults and Alzheimer's patients in this country. We have some significant problems with the medical approach the medical model that we have here in the United States and you can figure that out simply by looking at the numbers we spend more on medicine in this country than every other country on earth combined that's insane for a country that only makes up five percent of the world's population so we have some serious problems with what we do for medicine what we do with our drugs and this will get into that a little bit with still a focus on using laser therapy for Alzheimer's disease, as is presented in this paper. Now, as usual, I am not presenting this to you, uh, claiming that you can fix your Alzheimer's patients with laser. I'm going to just bring you what's in these articles. You have to work within your scope of practice and within what you're allowed to do. And remember, most laser therapy devices in the U.S. have only been cleared for pain, all right? That being said, we know so, so much from the research about how light interacts with tissues and how light can sometimes help conditions that are otherwise beyond help. So let's go ahead and talk about Alzheimer's. Now, Alzheimer's disease is a cognitive decline, a senile dementia disease, typically associated with age, which does ultimately result in death. We also know that there is a vital link here between the progression of this dementia disease and the presence of amyloid plaques and neurofibrillary tangles. 
Now these amyloid plaques are uh, made up of amyloid beta and they become insoluble. They deposit within the extracellular space within the brain and they begin to interrupt synaptic transmission. Now we don't know exactly how that happens uh, or why it happens. There's a lot of theories. There's uh, theories about chronic inflammation on the brain creating uh, more amyloid and a kind of protective mechanism, but we essentially still don't know for sure. What we do know is that along with this dementia process, we get these amyloid plaques, these neurofibrillary tangles. And we also know that it is a significant problem. As a matter of fact, according to our review paper, there's 11% of Americans age 65 and over that are currently suffering from Alzheimer's disease. And this is predicted to increase not only with the aging population, but it seems to be increasing in prevalence as well. And aside from just being costly to take care of patients, Alzheimer's disease, according to the paper, also claims its toll on the quality of life of caregivers. Compared to people who are not affected by Alzheimer's disease directly or indirectly, those who care for Alzheimer's disease patients have shown weaker immune function more pro-inflammatory proteins, as well as significantly shorter telomeres. Now, telomeres are the kind of buffer material on the ends of chromosomes that prevent aging, uh, genetic aging from happening. So the shorter those telomeres get, the, the faster aging progresses. The more, um, the more mutations appear in that genetic line. Now jumping over to the Bloomberg article, they say the cost of caring for America's nearly 6 million Alzheimer's disease patients is already $600 billion a year, factoring the cost of uncompensated caregiving. That means caregiving for these patients that insurance won't pay for, Medicare specifically won't pay for. They go on to say, now the Food and Drug Administration has approved a drug treatment that may or may not work but is set to cost $56,000 a year for each patient. That is going to raise the cost even further simply based on what that medication costs. $56,000 uh, per patient per year. Now I'm going to jump over to the Forbes article um, and I'm going to read you a couple of sections of this because this is really well summarized. And this article says, The FDA's decision last week to approve a new Alzheimer's disease treatment and the buzz that surrounds it is a symptom of all that is wrong with the way we care for frail older adults in the U.S. Rather than providing the supports that people with chronic conditions desperately need and that evidence shows works, we prefer to chase butterflies. In effect, this decision reflects a society that unquestioningly will spend tens of billions of dollars on a drug that may or may not improve the lives of a fraction of dementia patients, yet policymakers reflexively resist when asked to spend far less on more modest but practical functional supports to help families care for frail older adults and younger people with disabilities. FDA's approval of Aduhelm was enormously controversial since there is scant evidence the drug will benefit those with the disease. At least three members of an FDA advisory panel that strongly recommended against approval have resigned in protest. This is all in the very immediate past here. This is just uh, within this past week uh, from when this article was written on the 15th. This is brand new developments and an actively ongoing developing situation. 
Biogen, the maker of the drug, has priced this at $56,000 a year. It's delivered in monthly infusions. And Medicare is going to be asked to pay for it, which means U.S. taxpayers are going to have to pay for this. They go on to say, in effect, policymakers have made this choice. Government will pay for 80% of a $56,000 a year drug that may do nothing to improve an older adult's quality of life. In the same way, Medicare will pay for a hip replacement for someone who will never walk and whose pain likely won't be resolved by the surgery. And it, that is tens of thousands of dollars right there alone. Knee replacements in the U.S. are now averaging $57,000. Hip replacements are near that same number as well. And this article is exactly right. Medicare and many insurances will pay tens of thousands of dollars for these surgeries that may actually not improve the patient's quality of life at all. Lumbar fusions, which have been shown not to work on a five-year outcome, patients who got fusions were no better off than those who didn't, they'll pay thousands of dollars for that, eventually crippling that patient as well if the patient lives long enough. This article goes on to say, what could $56,000 a year buy? Well, it would pay for home care aid for 20 hours a week plus three days a week at an adult day center with money left over for transportation, therapy, and a care manager. Really, what this article is saying is where are we putting our money? We're throwing money at a drug not even proven to help, not even proven to work, and it gets pushed through almost blindly and approved and then set on taxpayer shoulders. But when it comes to low-cost, effective treatments, or even just supporting those who are caring for these patients, the answer is absolutely no. We're not going to spend a dime. Now, this Forbes article goes on to say, when it comes to Adjuhelm, Medicare is likely to swallow the costs. Medicare could limit access to the drug to those patients who might can be helped, according to the evidence, but powerful lobbies, such as the drug makers and the Alzheimer's Association, will fight this with the same vehemence they lobbied FDA to approve the drug in the first place. Now, they conclude by saying, a true cure for Alzheimer's, or even an intervention that slows the disease progression, would change long-term care in profound ways. But Aduhelm isn't likely to do that. Instead, it's just going to cost the entire nation billions of dollars. Now, what else does this sound like? This sounds really like the approach that we take here in the U.S., to so many healthcare issues, even things like chronic low back pain, would rather throw expensive, addictive drugs at the problem than actually work to make these patients better. Okay, back to our study. Our study, again, the title is Photobiomodulation for Alzheimer's Disease, Translating Basic Research to Clinical Application. Now, this is a literature review where they gathered a large amount of information together on multiple studies that were focused on light therapy and specifically transcranial light and laser therapy with a focus on how that can be used for Alzheimer's disease. And they start by saying, as a treatment for neck pain, arthritis, and for carpal tunnel syndrome, photobiomodulation, or light therapy, was shown to have an efficacy beyond a mere placebo effect, which led to the first low-level light therapy devices for pain relief being approved as medical devices by the US FDA. Photobiomodulation has very few reported side effects, and by nature, it is not addictive. They go on to say that interest in the use of photobiomodulation for neurorehabilitation is growing, and it has already shown potential in treating traumatic brain injury, stroke, 
psychiatric disorders, as well as neurodegenerative disease, both in animal models and in some clinical trials and case studies in humans. The review goes on to not only say that you can affect these amyloid plaques in a positive manner with light, but it gives us several examples. For, in, for instance, that in a mouse model, the results of treating with laser three times a week for six months showed an attenuation of this amyloid development and improved cognitive function, leading to the conclusion that early and regular administration of photobiomodulation has the potential to halt progression from mild cognitive impairment to Alzheimer's disease, catching it before it becomes full-blown Alzheimer's when it's just in the cognitive impairment zone, which right now, there's really so little that can be done there. Another study covered in this review said that two weeks after a single therapy session on humans, a significant improvement in cognitive tests was observed. So they did a session of photobiomodulation and then tested these adults two weeks later and saw a significant improvement. Another placebo-controlled study on healthy human participants tested directly after receiving photobiomodulation therapy, and that's where they saw a significantly better performance than the control group that got the placebo laser. Another example brought up here is human-related and based on a single treatment session, where they saw positive effects two weeks after photobiomodulation, which waned by the time a further assessment was performed after four weeks. Again, that was single session. They saw benefits in those first two weeks, and then that did go away four weeks later. Another example, again with humans, is where they saw improved frontal cognitive function in older human volunteers after a single session of photobiomodulation. And this was tested with improved reaction time, improved mental flexibility, and fluency tests. Another study with humans performed treatments on uh, those who had suffered from uh, stroke, and traumatic brain injury, and who had chronic aphasia, or the inability to speak. And they did treatment three times a week for six weeks with assessments at the one week, one month, and two months after mark. And that's where they showed, these patients showed significant improvements in cognitive function, as well as the verbal learning test. And the chronic stroke patients with aphasia showed significant improvements in naming so if you can deliver light, the right kind of light, to the brain, there's a potential there, according to the research, that you could see improvements in cognitive functioning and processing. Now, how possibly does photobiomodulation or light therapy affect dementia, that process, and the amyloid plaques, the neurofibrillary tangles? Well, photobiomodulation is defined as a use of monochromatic light from a low-power laser or light-emitted diode to modify or modulate biological functions. This modulation effect is based on the presence of chromophores in cells and tissues. And those chromophores are molecules capable of absorbing light, which then become excited. And that excitation then influences further downstream molecules and biochemical pathways with the potential to exert a therapeutic effect. Now, in many other podcasts, I've gone deeper into the mechanisms of photobiomodulation and how this works to stimulate the body's own recovery and healing mechanisms, so I'm not going to bore you to death with that. But if you consider what are the barriers to getting this process to happen in the brain, probably the biggest barrier people think of immediately is the skull. That's an obvious physical barrier to getting light to the brain. Is it even possible? How does that work? 
why can you get light to the brain, what kind of light do you have to use, and what happens once you can do that. Well, this podcast has already gotten to the end of its time limit, and so I'm going to come back with you next week and go deeper into this paper about what type of light has to be used for transcranial laser therapy and what recommended protocols are being presented in this paper and what remaining questions still have to be figured out. But this is exciting stuff, so I hope you'll be here with me next week. Thanks again, and have a great week in practice. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.